We shall continue our Sunday sermon sessions in the Gospel of John. And we are in chapter 12. And uh, the portion of Scripture, verses 27 through 50, or as far as we can go here. Of course, the account, the witnessed and recorded account of the Christ and his mission, his ministry, fulfilling the prophets, uh, moves forward in uh, its nearing completion. And we've seen the love of the Christ. We've seen his willingness to teach and instruct and bring change upon the people. And we see his compassion and the love that he can now recognize as a human being among us, God on earth. Quite fascinating, truly interesting to search out the recorded accounts, witnessed, time and tested, and proven objectively real, an objective rea- reality, more accurately. And it is truly a, uh, uh, a, a wonderful journey into seeing his interactions and the good that is being produced by his will. But it does come at a cost. And we have seen, of course, the growing hostility of the people, the crowds, the Jews, the Sanhedrin, and the socio-political governing oppression of their day and age that turned, of course, against the Christ. Christ came proclaiming a message of life, and the world in its fallen ways sought to bring forth death upon him. He's always in control. He is the one in whom chooses, according to his Father's will, at what moment he will allow his life to be taken, And so we see the growing hostility uh, in opposition to the Christ. But Christ defends the honor of his equality as deity, as divine power with the Father. Yet still, again, through being the Son of Man, which is descriptive of being the vessel and no other that we must go through to be with the Father eternally. There is no other. We've seen him practice miraculous activity, supernatural to the true and purest essence of its witnessed and recorded accounts. Raising the dead. Yet still opposition by the governing body and their policies of the Sanhedrin. And so these accounts, of course, bringing us to this moment and chapter where his teaching of life will come to its end and the moment in which his obedience to the Father to the time of death he must go through and the obedience therein will be revealed as is per recorded. And so let's just get into the text and we shall see what the Holy Spirit has written. Verse 27. Now my soul has become 
troubled. My soul has become troubled. Remember, this is God on earth. And on earth, he is found with a physical vessel. He is experiencing humanity in all its facets and branches. He can experience fear, joy, hunger. He can experience pain, compassion, weeping. He is experiencing humanity. Now, God did not come on earth for the sole purpose of experiencing humanity, but it certainly is a product of his experience. Now my soul has become troubled, he says. And this, of course, took place recorded when Lazarus had died. A friend, a a loved one. And what shall I say? Verse 27, again, Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. We are, of course, again, recognizing that the coming hour of his sacrifice is imminent, it will happen, and it is near. And so he speaks along those lines as a human being, as a man understanding the pain he is going to have to go through on a cruel Roman cross, to be betrayed, to be shunned, to be rejected, not believed by his own kind and culture, people, family, siblings, to have his own governing people bring him to the hands of godless men where he will experience by all parties being mocked, scoffed, beaten, spat upon, slapped, whipped. A man who could raise the dead. This is how we treat him. And so it it is understandable that he would say, now my soul has become troubled. But yet still, in what most of us would just choose to run away from, immediately, be like, I'm not going to go through that. For people who don't like me? What are you, crazy? We'd have a hard time doing it for people we love, let alone trying to do it for people who hate us, can't stand us. Yet what does he say? Father, save me from this hour. Is that going to be the solution to the problem mankind has? Well, of course not. Of course not. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. This is the fulfillment. If we all ask ourselves, why did God walk on earth? Well, here it is yet again. Why? For this purpose. What purpose? To die on that cross, which is the perfect sacrifice, allowing us salvation to qualify therein. And he says in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven I have both glorified it and will glorify it. And of course, this is interesting because as we have recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus was immersed, not for the forgiveness of sins, but rather to fulfill all righteousness, the pattern, the example, the things that we must follow, the voice of his Father spoke. And we saw there, of course, God One in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And here the voice from heaven, his father, says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people in verse 29 who stood by and heard it, they were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. It's interesting in regards to the motive of one's heart, how he's going to interpret the word of God. (laughs) Find that very interesting. So Jesus answered and said in verse 30, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. It has a purpose. It is driven with a function to produce. And again, to the matter of one's inner heart. And that is the question we must always ask ourselves. Why are we here this morning? What is the purpose of your drive to be here? Because you love Jesus and want to learn more of his account? To follow him? To find family and hope and goals and peace and unity and forgiveness? Or because mom and dad told you to? Or because you can't stand being here but you just figure coming? If those are the reasons, you'll never get it. You're wasting your time. You don't need to be here. Really, you don't. But if the motive of the heart is to truly hear the information within the recorded accounts that are inspired, God breathed, then of course, my dear friends, we begin to receive the purpose, the true purpose of it. This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now, he says in verse 31, judgment is upon this world. Judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And who is the ruler of this world? Well, the prince of the air, of course. The slanderer, the tempter, the accuser. A murderer and a liar from the very beginning. Satan. In the minds of the people, of course, in this context, so many would reject the Christ whom they should have embraced. They should have embraced him and be able to hear his authority and his teaching. But as we have mentioned and read and recognized, these religious people of the day, the Jews, had since created the Christ in their own image. They had made him their own personal Jesus. And of course, when Christ came not in the resemblance of their own image, which was to be a nationalistic socio-political power, which was going to overthrow the Roman oppression and build a physical kingdom, they were very angry. And that stems from them reading the Old Testament, to which they were born and raised to read, recite, teach, and preach, and they would misinterpret the text to their agenda, to once again create the coming Messiah to their own image, and not the image of inspired word. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. A messenger has spoken to him. This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. The element of objective reality, right and wrong, good and evil, 
those who will choose to side with what is good and follow what is good, and those who will neglect, reject, harden their hearts in hatred and bitterness and be judged. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Satan is greatly anticipating the hostility growing against the Christ because in his agenda to murder the Son of Man is to be victorious over God and those he had created in his image. But what he fails to see in his corruption and hypocrisy is that the very moment in which he will think himself victorious, he will find himself defeated. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Verse 32, and if and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And here it is. He must go into the tomb. He must allow himself to die, be placed in the earth, conquer death, come out of the tomb into a newness of life. He dies in the tomb, in the earth, in the ground, and comes up out of the tomb to a newness of life. And by this, his authority and power to conquer death, all men, that means mankind in its two genders, will have the opportunity to qualify entrance as legal citizens. And that indeed, indeed extinguishes the devil. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. In verse 33, the description of his death and how it is to take place and the spiritual power that will be found within it. So the crowd then answered him in verse 34, we have heard out the law. We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? They're not thinking spiritually. They're not thinking spiritually. Remember, they've been reading the scriptures in accordance to their own personal interpretation, making the Christ uh, in the likeness of their own thoughts, self-interest. They're not humble. They've got a pride problem. And so pretty much they're saying, so you're talking about you got to go die. Well, that's not right because the Bible says that you're not ever supposed to die. And if they'd only be humble to recognize that what they are saying refutes their own thoughts. <laughs> of course the Christ is never going to die. But they are thinking again of an earthly worldview and not a spiritual view. The crowd then answered him, we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? How is this the son of, who is uh, this a son of man? And of course they're confused when they shouldn't because they've been seeing him with the practices of the signs, the miraculous 
activities and the signs he would produce of course a sign points to something greater the witness to a resurrection and the power behind it is to have us listen to the words he has to say if we today were to witness someone raise someone from the dead who's been dead for four days where we should tend to think we want to listen to what he has to say he may have some insight into the afterlife who is this son of man again the son of man in its descriptive nature spiritually speaking is the vessel the liaison to the Father. And there is no other but the Christ, Acts 4.12. So Jesus says to them in verse 35, For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. So for a little while longer, Jesus, in physical, literal form walking among us, is with them. But that hour is soon coming to end where he will fulfill his baptism, the cross. For a little while longer, the light is among you. And of course, in this same gospel, chapter 1, we recognize the light. In the description, John would write of his master. Walk while you have the light. Work. Seek me. Obey me, follow me while I am among you. So that darkness, which is sin and myth and superstition and false religious beliefs and traditions and all sorts of nonsense and perversion and all so sorts of radical, uh, 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 and chaos, uh, radical ideas and chaos, so that you can be removed from that, so that you will not be snared and shackled in that darkness which leads to death. Here is the Christ, he, he is going to conquer death, and so through him we can conquer death. For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. A great many people have eyes to see who are as blind as blind can be. They saw this man raise the dead. They had eyes to see that, yet they did not believe. But for those who do believe, this light, this illumination, it allows you to see where you're walking. If you don't see where you're walking, you're going to fall into a pit, or you're going to start to believe individuals who will shackle you to their sinister agenda. Christ came to liberate the people from the oppression of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisaical and the, Sadduc uh, the Sadducees and all of these who have, had become uh, self-righteous and, and, and greedy and in control of the minds of the people. Verse 36, While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light interesting language my dear friends become that means there is a qualification that leads to salvation and it's interesting because in the same gospel chapter one 
It says in verse 12 and 13, but as many as received him, Jesus, meaning all those who received the information of the gospel, which is the truth, which is reality, and reality will snatch you away from all sorts of mythical things you may have deceived yourself with. So as many as received Jesus, to them gave the right to become if you receive the Christ, you have the right to become because you qualify to be children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Both the recipient and the believer have the right to become. And of course, verse 13 of chapter 1 says how? Who were born? Aha! Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man but of God, but of God. No wonder Jesus said in John 3, 3, John 3, 5, to be born again out of water and the Spirit. This birth is a spiritual birth. It's not for procreation. It's not through the mother's womb. It's not by the will and intent of man. It's from God. It's divine. And if you are paying attention and you have a humble heart to learn this mystery of life now revealed through the penmanship of the Holy Spirit back in chapter 12. And I, verse 32, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. How do you qualify to become as a repentant believer confessing him as your Lord and Master? You are born again, plunged, dipped, submerged. You go to his tomb. You are dead and you are risen with him to a newness of life. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Look at how his servant Paul would speak this information in rightly handled connection to what was going to take place with Christ at the cross. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. John chapter 12, verse 32, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. How do you become one with the Christ? You need to go to his tomb, be buried with him, and be risen to newness of life. We've witnessed that a few times these weeks, haven't we? It's beautiful. To be connected to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ through the waters of baptism takes faith. It takes faith. Because without faith, we cannot be pleasing to God, Hebrews eleven six. So the text continues. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and he went away and he hid himself from them. It was time now to move on, of course, to the hour in, uh, uh, um, 
to take his life, his, his life to be taken. But though he had performed so many signs before them, verse 37, yet they were not believing in him. How do you explain that? To us, it seems so nonsensical and ridiculous because we see it from this generation, thousands of years ahead, having the Bible in our hands. But here they are in the first century. They've witnessed this man control the weather, raise the dead, cast out demons, make whole the lame, cure the sick, and speak with such scriptural accuracy, a man would have to be divine to have that authority. But no, we're not going to believe in him. We're not going to believe in him. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. It does. It wouldn't matter how much evidence you have to prove to someone the truth of the scriptures and the truth of the Christ. If their heart is darkened, not in the light, they're not going to believe it. Matter of fact, they're going to hate it and hate it more. The more you speak it, the more they want to hit you. This was to fulfill, verse 38, the word of Isaiah, the prophet, which spoke. And of course, here, John quotes the prophet. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And we must pay close attention here. They of the day not re, uh, believing in the Christ are not because the prophet made them. They are simply fulfilling the prophet's prophecy. That's important to understand. Because if we don't understand that, we might be misguided. This was to fulfill. It wasn't because the prophets spoke it that made them do that, become unbelievers or be unbelievers. They of their own free will chose not to believe what they could clearly hear and see. And because of that, they confirmed the prophet's prophecy, which makes, of course, the prophet a genuine, authentic prophet. Verse 39, for this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah said again in verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I healed them. They don't want it. They don't want it. They don't care for it. They don't believe in it. It's not in their heart. They're firmly convinced in their error and they aren't going to move. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. So interesting. The Christ is going to die willfully on a cross. God on earth 2,000 years ago. And mankind would have opportunity to seek him, follow him, believe in him, and be immersed into his assembly. Nevertheless, verse 42, nevertheless, many of, uh, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. Perhaps Nicodemus, right? John chapter 3? 
perhaps others. Many believed in him who were of the rulers, it says. But, uh-oh, there's the B-U-T, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. Why? For fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. They were known to put out of the church those who would choose to confess the Christ and defend the Christ and believe in the Christ. Chapter 9, verse 34. Not too long ago, we saw that account. The blind man who could see, he was thrown out of church. Why? Because the Pharisaical are the tyrannical oppressors. They're the educated scholars. And how dare you question our authority and policies? They didn't want independent, free-thinking members. They wanted slaves who couldn't think for themselves, so that way, through their greed, could control your mind and your wallet. Christ came to set them free from that, but even of the rulers who believed in him did not have the courage to confess him because they didn't want to be thrown out of church. Which proves yet again that believing is not the end result of one's salvation. There is more than belief. Belief takes action. If you believe, you can become. These here believe, but they would not confess. And why would they do that? Verse 43. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. That's why. That's why. Paul, speaking to the Christians in Galatia, which we've been studying in our midweek studies, what did he say about those who tried to pervert the gospel, switch the gospel up, make a mess of the gospel, they are to be accursed? Why would he say they would do that? Because they were seeking to please men, the approval of men. Who are we here for this morning? If it ain't God, if it ain't Jesus, you're wasting your time. You won't get it. But if you are willing to learn why you should be here and why you are here and you are seeking to follow the Master, the Christ, He will liberate our thoughts away from the tyranny and oppression of these so-called religious leaders. And they are still well and alive today all over the place. For they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And Jesus cried out and said, this is with a loud voice He speaks in verse 44, he who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. Remember, he is the liaison. He is the only vessel in whom we can reach, attain heaven with the Father. He who sees me sees the one who sent me, verse 45. If you understand the gospel of the Christ, then you will certainly understand the Father who sent the Christ. That's why a great many times he would tell these religious leaders, you claim to know the Father. You claim to know Moses. You claim to know the Scriptures. You know none of them. None of them. Because if you did, you'd know who I am. If you did, you'd know who I am. And he even says, if you can't believe me by my words, can you not at least recognize that the things I am producing supernaturally should be taken into account? I have come as light into the world, verse 46, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. 
We don't need to die in our sins. We don't need to die with a bitter and hateful heart. We don't need to die in regret. We don't need to die in sinful practice and belief. We don't need to remain confused. We don't need to remain shackled to religious oppressors. We can be independent and free in Christ. And the East Coast congregation right here, we are a family that is given this opportunity. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings, verse 47, and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Oh, and how these verses are often plucked out of context to make them say things they are not saying. He said this before in John 3. The purpose of the Christ is not to condemn us, but to give us a path into salvation, into life and purpose. He did not come saying, okay, now how many people can I lead to hell? Quite to the contrary, how many people can I lead to the Father? His purpose, his ministry, his life. But friends, don't pluck out the verse, keep it in its context. What does verse 48 say? He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings. If you reject the Christ, you reject his word. What happens? He has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. You will be judged by the words written in this book. There's no way around it. It is an objective, absolute reality of our existence. It doesn't matter what you feel. It's the truth. And the truth can pierce you. For I did not speak, he says in verse 49, on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. In verse 50, I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. He is divine. He is God on earth. He is submissive to his Father in heaven. He is obedient to his Father in heaven, giving us, of course, this eternal example and pattern to follow. The word of God, the words of this book, the 66 books of the Holy Spirit's pen, they hold the key to life. And my dear friends, to go in, to enter into this covenant, one is required to believe in him. You'll never believe in a man you've never learned about. Learn about Jesus. Who is he? Who was he? If you believe in him and you are willing to change your mind, which is scripturally called repentance, to change your mind in such a way that your life is changing, you confess him to be your Lord and master, your king. You qualify to be with him as he speaks in verse 32. If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. You can be buried with him in baptism to a newness of life. It's not by the power of water or the individual helping you uh, uh, go down into the water. It takes faith to see this. And it takes a humble heart to submit to his will. 
Remember, even the rulers believed, but they were not saved. Powerful information from this portion of Scripture, which of course always gives us the invitation to his kingdom, to have legal citizenry in his kingdom. That is available to everyone here. It's always available. While we have breath in our lungs and a thinking mind, we can choose to believe in Christ and follow him, to be immersed in his name. Okay, that'll do for now. Let's go to a song.